What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Logos Podcast. This is Max. This is Joey. And today we have a very special guest on repeated guests. And also we have a topic, an important topic. Joey, very, you very, say so? very important topic. Yeah, I think so. Guys, today we have Father Dylan James on to help us dive into this topic. But before we introduce him more profoundly and more extensively, Joey, you know what to do. It's that time again. It's that time, unfortunately, for our <laughs> listeners. Welcome to Logos Podcast. Um, if you're this is your first time listening to Logos Podcast, Max and I are seminarians studying for the priesthood in the Roman Catholic Church. And this podcast is designed to present our listeners with, we're trying to share with you the, the beauty and richness and truth of the Catholic intellectual and spiritual tradition, and thereby facilitate an encounter with the Logos himself, who is our Lord um, Jesus Christ. So, Welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're a regular listener to Logos and you'd like to support us, continue to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. You can um, follow us on all our social media, Instagram, TikTok. We've got a website you can go check out. You can become a patron, a monthly donor on patreon.com slash Logos podcast. And we got to give a huge shout out to Zach, Zach M. We're just going to say you're Zach first Al- initial of your last name in case you want to remain relatively anonymous, but thank you for your most recent donation. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I mean, if you want to help us out, that'd be awesome. You can go to Patreon and yeah. um, become a monthly donor. We'll uh, we'll make sure to put all the links below on our YouTube, yeah. um, on everything that we have. Uh, also, our website uh, is also an important avenue to kind of just mm-hmm. find us and see a little bit more about us and find all our links to whatever your preferred audio platform is, whatever your prefer- preferred video platform is as well. But as you have noticed, as you may have noticed, hopefully you have, we have a guest with us. We have a guest with us, Father Dylan James. He's been a repeated guest on here before. He's been on before. Yeah, and it was, but it was several episodes. Actually, I was looking at it, and it's it's been a while. I mean, close to a year since we last a had year. you. Is that, wow. Yeah, that's right. Wow. We weren't doing video at that. No, we weren't. No, and it's just uh, audio. Yeah, it was it was it was, it was a summer a little over a summer ago. Um, so now you can all go back and listen to our episode on contraception. That's right. Which Father James accompanied us for. Yeah. And then you can put an English speaking voice to now a face if you want to. So, Father, and, welcome. Thank yeah, you just a little preface. And pleasure Father, to be with you. I want to apologize in advance because we probably will make fun of your English accent to some extent as the episode goes forward. Yeah. Why it's, change the habit of a lifetime? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about getting a translator in here to try to facilitate yeah. dialogue between Thank you. The this three is of good. Us, but um, I couldn't uh, afford it. that's one. a man of community <laughs> if I've ever seen it. Um, No. Okay. So Father Dylan James is, he's a professor here at our seminary. He teaches moral theology. So he teaches a sexual morality class, bioethics, fundamental moral theology. Um, 15 years of seminary teaching experience I have here on my notes. Is that right? That's right. Oh yeah. Because you taught at another seminary before 13 years at a British seminary. uh, That's right. On a seminary in the south of England. And uh, then I was Invited to come here, so I'm invited I'm over here. Mandated, sent. Invited. You yeah. better go there. You've got 24 <laughs> years of pastoral experience. Yes, I've been ordained a while now. Uh, yeah. Most of that time in a parish, 14 years in different parishes while teaching part-time in seminary as well. That's and awesome. now I'm full-time here with you guys. And priest of the Diocese of Plymouth. In England. In England. Yes. Yeah, yes. and we're borrowing right you here in the States for... Six years. Six years is what you yeah. agreed to. So you're not uh, for sale. I'm not for sale. Oh. Then I'm going home. Okay. Yeah. 
Nice. Uh, we'll see about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So um, briefly, I'm curious, what did you, just for our listeners, what did you um, write your doctoral dissertation on? Like what's your area of My uh, expertise? My area of expertise is bioethics, okay. medical ethics, uh, the definition of the human person. What mm. is a person? Um, contrasting how Catholics think of that, how very secular writers think of that. And then applying that in different contexts. Wow. That sounds super cool. Yeah. Um, So this is a good transition into the formal introduction of our topic, which is why we have Father Dylan James on with us today. It's we're going to be talking about the issue of transgenderism, um, biology and theology and how all those things relate to each other. And um, we wanted to preface this entire conversation with uh, just a message to our listeners if just we know that this is a very sensitive topic and yeah. um max and i are not experts on all of this father james he's an expert in moral theology expert i mean he might uh take issue with that but he's supposed to be he's teaching us things yeah um but we don't know everything all the all the minutia of all the details but we're trying to think through this in a loving and a loving way but also a way that's in accord with the truth i don't know if you guys have anything else to yeah, say yeah and i that. and i think this goes um for those who uh, may have encountered people dealing with this um you yourself may be dealing with uh transgenderism or or the idea of uh, a sex change but you also may have never really asked some of the questions pertaining to the topic itself mm-hmm. i mean you may be like oh transgenderism is just it's terrible let's just do away with it and not engage it but that's just not the catholic way of engaging uh topics of conversation we we we've had them face on and, and, and we, we approach them in this, as Joey was kind of implying charitable manner, but also accompanied with truth. And I think as we enter the discussion, we're keeping the lens here of kind of the church's hermeneutic of engaging things. That is to say, we engage it by a mode of, um, of knowledge and a, and a particular method of understanding, which is through charity and to, through truth. And so that's kind of our attempt here to do so. And obviously that's one of the reasons too, why we brought Father Dylan James on is because he does take that approach both in his classes and just in Casual conversation, uh, and so it I makes know, you he's never think. very nice to me. I, well, just, just Englishmen in general, <laughs> you know, are just kind of dry and uh, not very nice people in um, my experience. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, <laughs> Thank right you. Thank bat. you. Yeah, you're welcome. So, bef- we like to, after that preface, we like to frame our discussions just like, okay, why do we want to talk about this in general? Yeah. Why is this an important issue? I. This episode, it's a lot easier to do that. Um, if you, all you have to do is open up any form of media yeah. and this is a hot button issue in our culture. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I remember, um, this past fall, it was around Halloween time. And I remember I had this experience of, I was on a university campus. There's a huge university near our seminary and I was getting lunch there and I, I was walking down the street and I thought I'd poke my head into the Barnes and Noble. On in, on the campus, yeah. look for a look for a books from from the bookstore, and there was no religion section in the Barnes and Noble, and there's very briefly a philosophy section. Did you notice a tiny that little philosophy section? Yeah. So so I had that experience, and then I walked out on the street, and so I had that experience. I was like, "What's happening to our culture? Where like religion now isn't even something that people are allowed to think and write about, mm-hmm. like in a public forum." And then I walk out on the street, and I saw I passed four or five people who were, um either cross-dressed or wearing a Halloween costume. And I, I gen- genuinely couldn't tell like what was going yeah. on. And it was striking to me because I was like, okay, um, like this is a big deal. Like this is a bit like this is part of the air we breathe right now. So mm. I think 
the fact that that's the cultural environment in which we live in is why we need to kind of address some of these things. I don't know what you think, Max. Yeah. And I think just in general, um, there's this kind of spirit in, in modern man that just everything is in flux. Mm. Right? Everything is kind of just thrown up in the air. There's nothing concrete. There's nothing real. There's nothing good, I would say, in the world. And Obviously, when we're talking about things like sexuality and um, our gender and all the, all of these things, I think that also that spirit kind of informs that discussion. And as we live in this, we've repeatedly said this kind of skeptical society and this really cynical society, um, I think talking about natures, talking about biology, talking about theology, and in particular relating to transgenderism, um, I think that's also one of the reasons why it's so sensitive to talk about it because concrete absolutes natures aren't assumed in discussion. Um, and I think that's another reason why I wanted to talk about it. But also, all right, as, as Catholics, we don't just have a Bible-only approach. Yeah, that's important. Right? And so that um, when we enter into the discussion, also to remember both Catholics and non-Catholics alike, that we don't just take whatever the Bible says and just kind of run with it and look at no other mediums of information to try to engage this discussion. Yeah, faith and reason are complementary. We've right. talked about this many times. So we draw from science, we draw from philosophy, we draw from all these different forms of knowledge, knowing that they all, all truth comes from the same source, which is God himself, right? So Yeah. So I don't know, that's a kind of just another little brief. Father James, note. why do you think this topic is culturally relevant, worth speaking about? Because everyone else is speaking about it. Yeah. And because it's changing so rapidly. So it's, oh, it's yeah. easy to think, well, I'll just let this pass me by. But you can see these big multinational global groups that are pushing these agendas. And even if we think, well, that just doesn't make sense. People with money are pushing this. Mm. Um, I can make just a decade ago, someone in my parish suddenly starting to talk about this. And at that time, it seemed like a really weird fringe set of ideas. Yeah. And now it's mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Confusion, um, but also uh, the risk of real sadness for people that are going to be affected. If you're confused about who you are, that's going to affect everything and how you are going to be able to yeah. flourish or not, be happy or not. So, Yeah, absolutely. Issue. Okay, so I think it'd be helpful to start diving into this topic to think about kind of the history of its development. You just mentioned how even 10 years ago it, was, it wasn't as mainstream an issue as it is now, but it's developed rapidly. Could you kind of walk us through as far, like, according to your understanding, maybe some of the, like, where did this movement come from? Like, what are its roots? What are its origins? That's a big question. Yeah. I think we can trace some things. So there's this phrase, gender being a social construct. Okay. That it's yeah. not about reality. Right. It's just invented a construct. Uh, and we can trace a lot of that to mid-20th century feminism. So the desire okay, yeah, for yeah. women to not be oppressed, to not be put into a straight jacket in terms of a, a way of living. And with that, this phrase that gender is just a social construct. Mm -hmm. It's just created by a particular culture. It doesn't have any grounding in reality. That's got morphed over the years since into the notion that all gender is just a social construct. Yeah, yeah. Um, which has the irony now of Many feminists haven't been cancelled because by defending biological women, right, right, um, right. Oh, wow. They are now deemed to be uh, 
opinions that should not even be listened to, tolerated. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I've heard um, a lot of times when we think about these issues, it's easy to conflate all the different kind of ideologies that, like feminism, um, you know, gender ideology, all these things. But I've recently heard exactly what you just said, that in like, especially up in like the intellectual levels, academia, feminists and people who are advocating for some of these gender ideology ideas are like enemies because mm-hmm. precisely because feminists are defending the idea that women are a thing and yeah. they need to be afforded more rights, whatever, whatever it might be. The transgender, uh, gender ideologists are like, no, women aren't even a thing. Right. Right. And, and I think that's, that's also, I think deeply important when we're talking about transgenderism in particular, because, and I, I remember, I think it was on new polity uh, podcast that I was hearing this. They were talking about how transgenderism as a system is hard to pinpoint in a unified way, mm. right? So like, how do we engage conversation with something that's principles very so often, mm-hmm. you know? And it's use of terminology, vocabulary, right. continually changing. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking yeah. of so which, but, it would probably be helpful before, like I keep saying before we start, we've already started, but it would probably <laughs> be helpful at this point to talk about some of the big terminology associated with the gender ideology movement. So, should we start with the words gender dysphoria and gender identity disorder? Yeah, let's do that. So, help us help us with those. So, let's go with the question of vocabulary, terminology, and an initial distinction between gender identity disorder and gender dysphoria. Yeah, I've heard the yeah. Yeah, talk yeah. about these a little bit. So, 50 years ago, um, mainstream psychiatrists had all have agreed um, that if somebody has a male body but thinks that they're a woman, then that's a disorder. They'd have used the phrase gender identity disorder. Okay. Mm. Now they say that's not a disorder. It's only a problem if you're not happy with that, those two realities not well, meeting up. With the disconnect. The disconnect. And then they use the term gender dysphoria. So if you have a male body but identify as a woman and you're happy with that, then they would say there is no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd only use this term gender dysphoria if you're not happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking from a medical, like, diagnostic perspective, like, how do you, like, what, it, what does it mean to be happy with your, with, I, I, it feels like to me, like, when it comes to a medic, medical professional trying to diagnose a condition, Placing it on that subject, like on that subjective level, seems very well subjective <laughs> and problematic. Sure. So that's just, yeah. That, but that's important. To, this, this distinction is important to be aware of. It is very important. Then, the more general distinction between the, as gender ideologists would phrase it, the difference between sex and gender. Okay. Yeah. That sex is about your body. It's male and female. Yeah. Um, they'll sometimes use the phrase assigned. Uh, that it's what was the doctor when you were born looked at the little baby and assigned a sex to you. Um, we'd also use the word biological. So sex is something in the body. It's something biological. In contrast, this word gender is used about your identity, the role you take on, the way you view yourself, um, the way you dress. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's a whole wide range of things that all come together in that. So there isn't a precise definition of gender and gender identity. But all those things, role, um, manner, the way you dress, the type of job you might feel happy with in certain stereotypes of 
man and woman. Mm-hmm. So sex, male and female, gender, man, woman. Okay. And it sounds a little like it's even a little bit foggy according to their own categories. So like the idea of sex being tied to the body, they would even, they would even say like, no, actually it's even that can be a, an assigned thing, like an artificially imposed thing upon you. Right. But, so there's no magisterium of defining these terms. <laughs> right, sure, right, right. And it keeps changing, but you can see a desire on their part to move away from terms like biological sex mm-hmm. to just say assigned sex so that even there there's no longer recognition of some reality some physical biological thing that you're referring to when you refer to sex and i think right from the get-go and this is one of the things you hear in a lot of kind of transgender uh talk in general it's there's this immediate dichotomy between sex and gender but then mm. there's also this really the kind of third um category that you hear spoken about yeah. Non-binary. Right. Non-binary. Yeah. Right. So the very thought that there are kind of two categories, you're either a man mm-hmm. or a woman, yeah. that even that gets rejected and maybe phrases like it's a spectrum, mm. but even spectrum implies two ends, yeah, uh, which is still therefore a binary way of looking at the world. Mm. How you choose to identify yourself, they would say non-binary Male and female might be the most common, uh, man, woman, the most common, but yeah. that's not all that's out there. Nor does that correspond to anything that's really yeah, in the world. Like this, these categories of male and female, they would say these are these have been artificially constructed. In Sorry, sense. male, female, that's sex. So that, okay, yes, generally speaking, would, most would still talk about that as having some kind of biological bodily root. Okay. But gender, definitely, and the terms man, woman – these are roles, these are identities. But if we say non-binary, those aren't the only two identities. Okay. So Father, just just to clear these terms up and tell me if, if, I'm, if I'm being outright with these, um, sex would deal more with the biological. Sure. Gender would deal more with like the sociological. Yes. The okay. sociological is probably the primary or main thing we think of when we think of gender roles, but it's okay. not the only thing about okay. your identity. And also like subjective how I... How I feel about how myself, feel, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, so there's another word that gets used here, fluid. Okay. Mm. That your sex, your body is the same throughout your life. Yeah. But many of these people would say, well, your identity might change, is fluid. Uh, how fluid, how rapidly it might change. I guess different people are going to say different things. Sure. But your gender is not static. It's fluid, they would say. So maybe when I was a little boy, I thought I was a boy. But then in my teen years, my identity changed and I felt like I behaved like a woman. Maybe later in life, I re-identify as a man or I then feel non-binary. You're neither, which means you're something something else. Yeah. So, well, back in 19, no, not 19, 2014, Mm -hmm. Facebook first kind of went in for this in a big way and listed 71 different genders you could identify with when you're creating your profile. Hmm. Uh, What are you, Joey, on? I'm not going to, I think, I think I'm a, I think I'm a male. Going to bypass that one. Yeah. Nice. Um, Uh, Well, but male, that's the biological. Oh, yeah. I think you yes. think you're a man. I'm a man. Okay. I'm a man. Um, so, 
And it's funny. Yeah. I go to the doctor now and I, there's always, what's your, what's your gender, male, man, woman, or other. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's, so there's, I'm recurring, I'm increasingly seeing that option other. for other mm-hmm. that I can list if I want, um, really everywhere I go. Sure. So, yeah, this stuff is all over the place. And yet it's still interesting how many forms that you fill in for a credit card or whatever still want to know, are you male or female? Yeah. Um, because that is basically reality. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and I mean, all these, all these gender theory, you know, the, the idea that there's this flux of the spectrum or even not even a spectrum at all, but just like complete fluidity in general Theoretically, there's problem there's problems with that, but like when it comes to defining things, which we'll talk about, but also yeah, practically like that when it gets to actually living in the real world, like we need to know like what are you? Like, yeah, it becomes complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're like pragmatically, how do you deal with this? And and this is one of the difficulties you do find into even those who, and we'll talk about this later, but even those who do kind of move forward with um, the surgeries of that, that entails the, the sex change, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, how do you engage the world? Is there a system that provides practical means for you to live this life? Mm-hmm. What about medication? What about what doctors do you see? What system do you kind of take up as your own to live by? I mean, this becomes a real issue for a sure. lot of these. Cause if you want to see a doctor, yeah, what your body is, is mm-hmm. pretty important. Oh is yeah. It, is it a male body or a female body? Sure. Just how you choose to identify in your gender doesn't really say much about what medical treatment you'd want mm-hmm. from a doctor. Sure. Yeah, so practically all this stuff, it gets huge, it gets yeah. complex pretty fast. But there's also a philosophical, there's also like a philosophical understanding that is undermined, right, in, in her tradition. I mean, we would say like, okay, yes, biologically there's some issues, practically there's some issues, but also like there's something anthropological, as we would say. It's problematic with these with right. this system, right. as we right. articulate. Which kind of takes us to what is the key thing, which is what is the heart of what the church says in this regard and why? Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, and the, front, the church does not agree with all of these sure. definitions, all of these categories as we've explained them. So why sure. not? I mean, at, at, at a base level. Because we are unity of body and soul. Mm. That we're not two separate things in relationship. We are composite body and soul. And we might in our current context push that further and say, my body matters. Mm-hmm. That it's My body isn't just some plastic thing for me to cut up, toy with. Um, my body matters. You are your body. You are your body. Right. I don't say my body walked down the hallway this morning. I say I walked down the hallway right. this morning, even though it was my body that was doing the moving. Mm. I'm a unity. I'm a composite body soul. Um, yeah, that's important because I think people do get into this um, this mindset of like I'm a I'm a I'm a mind or a soul trapped within this body, right? Like really, the the real me is somewhere in here. And right. the stuff that I'm within is inconsequential, but the church, but, and this is to, to be clear, this is not actually something that we believe by faith. This is like a, something that like Max said is a philosophical truth that even right. people before Christianity were able, I mean, Aristotle famously, this hylomorphic idea, like human beings are one being, but made sure. up of two composite realities, body and soul. And, and you, and you've had different throughout history, you've had different extremes be kind of um, bipolarized through, throughout the philosophical kind of development of, of just society in general. You've had philosophers such as, I don't know, 
who comes to mark uh, to mind is, is an easy enemy, um, Karl Marx, a materialist. Right. So right. that's one end. That's of it. one end like, of the we're spectrum. Only bodies. Right. But then you also have somebody like David Hume, right, who's an idealist. Everything's only in the mind, mm-hmm. right? Or Kant to some extent too. Everything's only based off of reason. Um, but the church is reiterated time and time again. No, we're a unity of body and soul, which encompasses the soul. Activities of the mind, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, um, activities of, of the passions, the appetites, these kinds of things. But we also are composed of a physical nature. And it's in this hylomorphic, what we call hylomorphic union, the union of body and soul, that the church holds as its anthropological principle by which this discussion is first kind of entered right. into. Yeah. Right. So even my soul, my spirit, my yeah. mind, I'm trying to think, what am I? I look to my body and it tells me, it shows me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you'll hear people talk about, in a, I think John Paul II maybe would say something like the the body is almost like a sacrament of the person, right? right? right. Like, like my body actually makes visible and present to the world who I am, like what what my interior life because they're they're inseparably interconnected. And one of the show. things he points to, it's like here, like the the biological composition, right? We know that man and woman, for example, here if we're assigning sexes, right, are meant for each other. Just by even by the biological makeup, they're made for a communion, mm-hmm. right? Um, okay, we'll get to that. Though. Sure, we're going to get to the yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, this is just another kind of point to reiterate that mm-hmm. the principles by which we, the church, understands anthropology and by which we're guided enters a discussion. Yeah, anthropology. Right? For those who don't know that big word, that's the study of the human nature, the study sure. of the human person. So, mm-hmm. um, so to reiterate, the the main fundamental reason why the church, the Christian tradition rejects everything we just laid out in terms of the gender ideological terminology and categories is because the human person is a unity of body and soul. Yeah. It's not a soul trapped within a body. And because of that, your body matters. You are your body and it's not just disposable or malleable or shouldn't be. Um, before we get into maybe the, a fuller explication of kind of what the church does teach about the body, the human person, all these things, maybe we should just take a minute to, address some of the common objections to the, to the church's rejection of these categories that are often encountered. Right. Um, so I'm thinking immediately what you always hear in conversation come up pretty quickly is the idea of hermaphrodites of intersex births being a reality that takes place in the world. So doesn't that prove that our category system of male and female is somehow, um, limited or flawed? Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to that father? Well, we could say a number of things. Um, philosophically, we don't describe, we don't define something in terms of the exception. And while people born with an intersex condition is a real phenomenon, it is a very rare phenomenon. Okay. Hmm. So to define everybody else because of that is just not the way we proceed in normal life. We right. don't do that with anything else. Right. And so like one of the examples that comes to mind, it's like, if somebody breaks an arm, for example, does that what we say an arm is? I mean, it's yeah, like the classical. To, like, what is an arm? Let's look at this broken one over here to tell us. It's like right, and so like that's kind of what I think that's Aristotle's example to to take uh, to take care of more ancient philosopher. But I think in general, we don't take the rarity to be the universal, mm-hmm. right? And also, we look at something that's functioning well right. in a whole manner in order to know what mm-hmm. that reality is. So the example yeah. of the arm there. A healthy arm that's functioning well. That's what we look at to know what an arm is. Yeah. What's a healthy person? What's a healthy person? Not the person that's just eating Cheetos and drinking beer all day. Although Cheetos and beer are good, 
not all day, right? And so we wouldn't say, well, that person is healthy. Like that's not how we gauge anything else. Like you said, I mean, we gauge things by a kind of a theme of, we would say, mm. kind of nature kind yeah. of infused. Yeah. Let me take that from a, in a completely different direction then. Okay. okay. Yeah. And just point out actually the whole intersex phenomenon actually justifies what the church says about the significance of the body. Oh, yeah? Okay, explain that a little so, bit. The intersex condition by gender ideologists is pointed to to say that it's not as simple as you said as everybody being either male or female. But actually that very argument they're trying to use is still rooting something in the body. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, pointing yeah, yeah. to an intersex body and saying, therefore. Right. And that's actually the heart of our position. We're saying the body reveals to you what you are. So someone with an intersex condition um, that is a problem for them. Yeah. That's not just as there are many things you can be born with in life where there's something in your body um, that isn't healthy, isn't what you'd want. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean a healthy body isn't the norm by which you know whether you are healthy or not. Mm. Okay, I have a question. We have a lot of those. You notice? Yeah. Okay. I've I've heard. And I'm ignorant, and you might be ignorant on this too, Father, so uh, that's okay. But am I correct in thinking that in the case of most intersex births, there is a predominant kind of biological um, sex that is present, and then part of the reproductive organs are um, like, like for example, someone has the reproductive organs of a male, but also in addition to that, have have acquired somewhere along the developmental process part of, but, but is identifiable mostly as a male with an addition of a, of a chromosome female. I'm not sure that's, okay. that's the case, okay. but, but certainly I don't think it matters right. in that you can be born with a combination of male and female genitalia uh, with neither or neither in any visible form. In terms of the chromosomes, so we typically talk about people being either XY or XX, but there are people that are XXY. Hmm. Um, so there are intersex people, mm-hmm. and that, that's okay. real. Um, and just as you might look at someone who's born without an arm uh, and say that's a sad thing and we want to try and help somebody as much as possible, but right. you would view their vision of how you would help them. Sure in terms of helping them with a prosthetic arm and so mm-hmm. forth, mm. um, rather than saying, hey, isn't it great that you don't have an arm? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So to repeat the point, I think the whole intersex condition, far from undermining our position, actually points out the truth of it. The significance of the body, the body-soul unity, your body matters. That mm. You can't just say, my body doesn't feel like me, I'm going to acquire or develop or I have developed a different identity. No, your body matters. Yeah, okay. That makes sense to me. Okay, so another objection we'll hear a lot is um, like just kind of more people who are experiencing um, a disconnect between their biological sex and what they're perceiving as their gender will often say things like, really, who are you, society? Who are you, Catholic Church? Who are you, whoever, to tell me what my gender is, to tell me who I am? Like, why don't you just like... Back off here. Back off here and let me live my life. So what's... what's 
what's the response to somebody who thinks that the church just has absolutely no position to be making any claims about anyone else's gender or biology? And it's just a qualified a bit too. It's oftentimes done in the name of freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we want to be free in the church by laying out these rules, by telling us, by writing the catechism and y'all turning to definitions by, you know, father, whoever, you know, bishop, whoever, these Catholics, whoever are telling me this and this and this, I am not able to be free. Yeah. Right. And the response has to be freedom has a goal. That mm. It has to relate to reality. And so what we're saying is your body is this very clear, identifiable marker point of reference in terms of connecting you to reality what are you it's not just what you think you are it's not just what you choose to be actually to be healthy to be fulfilled to be happy you need to engage with reality Mm. and so this whole gender identity question is trying to just bypass the question of reality Mm. and that's not going to leave somebody happy and it's not going to lead to true freedom it's not going to lead to true freedom. Yeah. Because okay. to flourish as the type of thing that you are, you have to live in accord with the type of thing that you are, right? You have tell, to tell them, you have to act freely, yeah, in accord with the the end towards which your nature was created to, right. to move. So, um, mm. okay. So that, yeah. And Max and I talk about freedom on this podcast all the time. We have an episode on freedom. Sure. It's kind of one of our early ones. So our if you episode, wanted to go back. Michel Foucault, I think we talked about yeah, we did Nietzsche truth, truth. when we talked about mm-hmm. those guys. Um, yeah. So you can go check some out, check out some of those discussions. Now, if you may go on to another objection yeah, we, let's com- do that. we commonly hear um, is what about the sex change surgery? I mean, what, like, do they actually change sexes then? Like, is it successful? You know, how do we, and why should we be opposed yeah. to right, somebody right, right. having I mean, sex change and, surgery? And also part of it's like, if they're happy, why not let them do it? If this yeah. is going to make them happy, again, going kind of back to our former I just previous question, but uh, like, why not allow the sex change to mm-hmm. occur? I mean, what's the problem there? So back to the question of freedom and happiness and a goal. Yeah. Just some because someone wants it doesn't mean we should give it to them. Sure. Um, but I think more directly in terms of sex change surgery, as it's called, mm-hmm. we just need to point out it is it's a lie. You don't actually change somebody's sex. You change bits of the body. You either remove some healthy organs and transplant on others or create fake organs of the Mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. sex, Um, but you don't actually change the whole body. So you don't change the fundamental reality that's given. So, for example, the chromosomes, your XX or your XY chromosomes, whatever those were through the rest of your body, those don't get changed. Right. So you haven't actually changed the sex of the person. You've just changed some bits of their appearance. Mm. And so that whole physical process of what's happened in the surgery, it can only be maintained by continuing to give them artificial doses of hormones throughout their life. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's not true to say somebody's changed their sex by having these surgeries. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I'm thinking of someone who's say someone's really overweight, like unhealthily overweight, and in order to like alleviate that problem, they just go and um, get a surgery to take some of that weight off and maybe continue doing that process throughout mm. the rest of their life. It's yeah. like, that's clearly, you're not, that's not healthy. That's not the way your body was supposed to operate and function. That seems to be maybe analogous here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe in some ways, okay. but we might point out even there, you're trying to make the body healthy again. 
Yeah, measuring it by a clear vision of what is bodily health. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And the mechanism you're pointing out Mm -hmm. is that to try and always lose weight by surgery is just avoiding what's the real problem. Right. Um, Right. But at least you have in mind a vision of a healthy body. Yeah. Whereas in a sex change surgery, you're just ignoring what the body actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. and trying to conform it to what's in someone's mind they feel they are. At that moment in time. Because it's fluid. So what happens if they change their opinion, change their identity, their sense of self later? Now, Father, there's also something kind of statistically um, verifiable about this phenomenon that you mentioned earlier of like, people aren't really happy after they, they even have this sex change surgery, right? I mean, statistically, time and time again, we've come to to face the, the truth that this doesn't doesn't actually help. And in fact, um, yeah, so I don't know. This so is, you yeah. could point to the statistics of, uh, sadly, things as um, extreme as the rates of um, drug use, substance mm-hmm. abuse, um, which are very high among people that suffer from these transgender issues. Um, the rates of suicide mm. um, that are between 30 and 50%, which is a wow, huge percent. What is it recently? But, we heard the statistics of like um, young women, it's about three or 4%, I think, as of recently. And that was astronomical too. Sure. But I mean, to hear 30 or possibly yeah. 50 is. And the real tragedy is that percentage of suicide rate isn't significantly changed by whether or not they have these sex change operations. Mm. That messing about with the body in terms of these surgeries, these hormones and whatever, yes, we'd have to concede some people do end up feeling happier in terms of conforming to what they think they are. But statistically, it's not the solution. Yeah. Um, So we might point to the fact that um, the hospital that first pioneered these sex change operations, the John Hopkins Hospital, first did this in 1965, and they stopped doing it in 1979, Mm. because they recognized that the solution to the problem is psychological, not biological. Wow. Um, And still, and and I think as time has gone on, that claim that John Hopkins made in in the later uh, 20th century is becoming increasingly the case, yet we're still not coming to a consensus as to what exactly is the cause of the issue, right? Mm -hmm. This identity crisis, what exactly is going on? I mean, on one sense, we could say it's kind of a biological thing. On another sense, maybe a psychological. There's some moral implications. There's some philosophical principles that are kind of intertwined there that are a little miskewed. Mm -hmm. So, and again, time and time again, as we've reiterated, it's a complicated issue, right? Um, But there are some principles, again, as as you've considered here as you talk. And I I do think it's important to say, like, just clarify the point here that you'll hear the statistics about um, the unhappiness of people who are um, dealing with tran- transgender identity issues on both sides of the of the discussion, right? You'll hear people who are against, you know, sex changes and yeah. some of these transgender ideologies saying, "Oh, look at how miserable these surgeries are making people," right? Mm. Whereas people who are in favor of the gender ideology um, movement will say. No, look at the way society is making these people miserable with, by not letting them express themselves through these surgeries. And so mm. you do have to be aware that those statistics statistics are utilized on both sides of the discussion. But regardless of that, I think what's really important here is that 
your first point about sex change surgery doesn't actually change your sex, right? Can I throw in another distinction there? Though? Yeah, please. Uh, so we're not opposed to all surgeries. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. people sure. that are intersex, that they're born, say, with um, both genitalia or with n neither in a visible form, um, to seek to, for them to have surgery to try and make their body conform to a more normal appearance, that would be an utterly appropriate um, way of proceeding because you're trying to conform to reality. There's something that's not quite normal in the body and you're wanting to make it as healthy. Sure. I have mm. a question and this is a tough question. It's kind of related to what I asked earlier. What is the, like, what's the basis for making the judgment for an intersex person who's born as to like which genitalia we should salvage and which we should try to... There's no clear line there okay. um, because it varies a lot. Um, and I think we should also point out there are some people born with the intersex condition who actually choose to never have surgery and actually can be happy that way. Yeah. That you can, you know, just as we can all have things with our body that aren't as we would want them to be, but we can live with them. Mm -hmm. There sure. are people who have the intersex condition, know they do, and can actually choose to live with it and without that person, needing yeah. to have surgery. And that person's still a child of God, beloved by God yeah, infinitely, absolutely. and is destined for union with him in eternity. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, we have to remember that in the background of this whole discussion as well, right? Um, okay, final objection. Yeah, there's there's a there's well there's a there's a couple here objections that kind of mold into each other, but but yes. So one of the other objections that um, we kind of formulated is that gender roles seem to be a social construct, right? So like we talked about sex, if you will, if if, if we'll grant that it's something biological, right? To speak in those terms, but then we'll talk about gender as man and woman, more kind of a, a socially accepted um, terminology. But that not everyone fits into these stereotypes. They, these these are a little too limiting. There's a male and a female. We've already kind of talked about it a little bit, but is it actually a social construct? Like is gender is genderism? A social well, construct? let's start by conceding the truth or something of the truth in that claim. Okay. The the claim that gender is a social construct, and let's acknowledge that actually gender roles do have variation in different cultures and different. Parts of human history. Yeah. So yeah. I can think um, back to my own part of England. Um, the miners, that used to be the case a couple of centuries ago, the men would go down the pit, uh, they would mine, um, and they would bring their salary to their wife. <laughs> and their wife. That's a mic. <laughs> their wife would run the, the finances of the household, give the man some beer money to yeah. go and drink with. But she would run the finances of the household. Oh, wow. Whereas your kind of 1950s American stereotype is the man runs the finances. Right, right, right. So just to concede that even kind of in fairly traditional parameters, male, female, man, woman, gender roles are somewhat fluid. And that's we, we're totally fine admitting that. There's nothing yeah. problematic about that claim. Yeah. Though we would say there's a fluidity there or a variation within certain parameters that okay. what a man is, what a woman is does actually define you. It yeah. does affect the things you're likely to be good at, likely to excel in. Mm. Um, so we can look at human history and see some variations in gender roles, 
but within certain parameters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those tend to be, yeah, like, as you said, limited, limited by your actual biological reality. And, right. and also, but also like, uh, and connected to this, to this is also like this idea that like sexual, your sexual orientation also is not what this is about. Like, the, like, I gotta say, so your identity isn't necessarily identified with kind of this orientation that you may have, right, too. So there's a connectedness to this, this topic. Okay, you're using the word orientation now? Yeah. Branching into something else? Yeah, I think or this we, is a bit of a different question um, that will often get brought up in these discussions is how does the whole idea of sexual orientation get brought sure. in in relation to the transgender <laughs> movement? But I think those are separate discussions. Yeah, and we're just going to kind of bracket that out for today. Yeah. Okay. And just note, it's a real discussion, but a separate discussion. Okay. But that it's possible in all the kind of confusion about identity and who you are, it's possible to identify, have a male body, identify as a woman, but find woman sexually attractive. Mm. The, the number of permutations here sure. gets a, yes. is a lot. Yes. Um, so orientation is a different set of questions. Mm -hmm. Um but in a different way, it takes us back to what has been our, our point, namely that are you going to conform your identity where you're looking for happiness in terms of the reality of what you are? Right, right. I guess, rather yeah. than what you feel. Mm. Do you seek to foster feelings within yourself sure. that conform to your physical reality? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are the questions. Yeah. Okay, so... Now, after having gone through all of these kind of objections, talked about them, addressed them on, at least on a preliminary front, let's let's talk like what does the church like? The church is not just about refuting objections from the culture. The church is, has something beautiful to propose. So, what is in the context of the gender discussion, the church's vision of man, of woman, of of their relation to each other, and in in relation to God? How how do we think about these things? And why does the church say what she says? Yeah, right. yeah. obviously that's um, a big question. And I think the, the the biggest point that we've already articulated is it's about the unity of the body and the soul. Yeah, that okay. you are a composite body soul unity. It's not that you have a body, but you are a body. It's not that my body walked down the hallway, I walked down the hallway. Uh, and so, although my soul is distinct from my body, it's united to my body. Um, so, John Paul II talked about how the body expresses, discloses who the person is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that being masculine, being feminine, these aren't random labels. These aren't, these are things that express who you are and your body reveals that to you. So again, the first point would be kind of like, what does the church think about gender and why? Well, one, that your body actually does matter. That it points to a unified person here that's being identified in, and again spirit and body yeah that's one yeah okay now all of that that we've just said actually we can talk about in terms of reason and nature and science you right. don't need to be a christian to see the truth the obvious truth or semi-obvious <laughs> uh, used to be obvious yeah um in all of that there are some things though specific about in our Christian faith about this. Okay. And there we'd want to point to the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of God. So what does it say in Genesis? Male and female, he created them. 
So this being male, this being female, isn't something that we've done to ourselves. It's part of how God has made us. And he's made us different. He's made us sexually differentiated. That the man knows he's a man in relationship to the woman. The woman knows she's a woman in relationship to the man. That we find completion in another. Another way of phrasing that is that we're made for relationship. And this is what I think is the real tragedy in the practical living out of this gender ideology is someone is left utterly alone. Is this a man? Is this a woman? Is this someone who's non-binary? Well, he's left having identified or they are left uh, mm -hmm. having identified themselves as non-binary. But that means it's utterly unclear to anybody else how to relate to them. Yeah. And yet we're made for relationship. Yeah. We're made complementarity, made to be completed in another. And how can that be if you've lost that thing that most clearly indicates how you relate? Yeah. And the decision to identify as anything at all, according to the gender ideologists, has to take place in complete isolation. It's only me. It's only my subjectivity that gets to be the determiner of what I am. Yeah. And what I am is unintelligible except in relation to other people. So trying to yeah. make that decision by myself is never going to be conducive to my happiness. And, and, and we've reiterated that particular point in many other facets of our discussion that mm -hmm. like the individual is formed in a community. Yeah. And, the, and that every, that in, in a large part, we need the community. In fact, in an essential part, we need the community to help us inform, to inform us about reality and the way that we engage with it in others. So anyways. And surely that, I, I just have to say, surely the, the splintering of our communities is probably one of the realities that's allowing an ideology like this to take hold and take root is like the fact that we don't have strong families. It's the fact that like so many people are born into situations in which they're no for all their own. Yeah. They, they pretty much are. They feel isolated. They feel alone. They don't have a family structure mm -hmm. supporting them. And so they're and if, if you're raised without a fam father anywhere nearby without male models anywhere nearby, how are you going to find it easy to know what a man is. Exactly. Yeah. To, yeah. to define your identity that way. Mm. Back to the relationship thing, though. Yeah, please. Image of God. We're made in the image of God. God who is Trinity. God who is within himself. These persons in relationship. Um, that's the image we're made in. Male and female, he made them. And all of this gender ideology, that's all lost. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, In a certain form, there's a, again, we've reiterated this time and time again, Joey, in our podcast, but there is a deep sense in where your gender, when you try to isolate the decision to yourself and try to make it for your own, there's a deep disconnect from the givenness of creation this gift that's given, this identity that's given to us. And in fact, we play the role in a certain way of God where we now create what we want to be. And there is also, and I think just a little nuance, is that in a certain way, particularly those who suffer with defect in such a such thing as intersex, they could argue, well, God gave me this, you know, for example. But here, more generally speaking, that um, there is something really beautiful about being informed by a community of people as to what you are. Mm -hmm. There's also something deeply beautiful about finding, as you reiterated, yourself in community, in the other. 
because it's something that's given, not created on our own accord. Okay, which leads me on to another point I want to be yeah. sure we articulate. Yeah. Just the whole notion of creation as given, as something yeah. that we receive, right. not something that we choose or impose upon. So Pope Francis has this as one of his repeated themes about the danger of, uh, as he would root it back to the Enlightenment, of ideology imposing on reality, imposing on nature, rather than seeking to learn from nature, learn mm. from creation, accepting creation as a gift from God, which includes myself yeah, and right. my body, that this is a gift from God. And even when my body is damaged, even when my body isn't as perfect as I'd want it to be, which all of us have that sensation sure. when we look in the mirror, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that there's something here that's not the way I'd want it to be, I find my fulfillment in accepting it hmm. as a given, as part of creation, as a gift from the creator. And any attempt to ignore that, bypass that, is not is just going to frustrate me. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think yeah, I think another quote from Saint John Paul II that I've heard is like, um, "Take away the creator, and the creature becomes unintelligible." Right. Yeah. And so, and it is this forgetfulness of God again in our society that has that has led to all this confusion about what we are as creatures. We actually we forget the fact that we are creatures who have been created according to a a divine idea. Yeah. That we are supposed to try to correspond our lives to, right? And when that happens, we start going in all these different directions, which becomes so problematic for yeah. us. And we see that, and we see that portrayed in a lot of like popular Catholic or Christian art. Like there's an exposure of the body, but there's also even on the crucifix exposure of Christ's body. There's something here deeply connected with kind of finding our identity in ultimately Jesus Christ, who shows us kind of fully what man is. So mm -hmm. as you we were saying, there's not a disconnect between kind of our creator and the yeah. creature. There's a there's a deep kind of connection that we see through imagery, but more more importantly through the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Um, so, okay, so a last. Yeah, please. Part of our counter-narrative here, um, the dignity of the human person right. and without the dignity of the body. So there is somehow, in all this talk of gender uh, identity, a losing of the sense of the dignity of the person and their body, that this isn't something I can toy with. This is something I have to take very seriously. Mm -hmm. And this is probably the most subtle part of the different things we've talked about here in terms of saying why our Catholic understanding is different. But our Catholic understanding just has this huge sense of the a dignity that you can't toy with. You've got to respect uh, that, that phrase we've used already, something given and received. Um, where so much of our modern mindset is about you know, this obsession with the self, um, self-satisfaction and dominating things, my nature, as I see fit. And know? dominating other persons as and I see fit, right? That's another consequence right. of this mentality is that other people become, if my body's disposable and malleable So too, is that person. So are other people's bodies. Yeah. So great John Paul II talks about self-gift. Hmm. Um, to give yourself to another is to recognize the dignity of the other, but also the dignity of yourself. yourself. Mm -hmm. And so there's something about this plasticity, fluidity, of the way the human person is being viewed in gender identity and gender mm. ideology, um, that is lost that sense of our human dignity.
Yeah. So, I mean, at base, like the message of the church is that you are infinitely valuable. Like, yeah. like God loves you with an infinite and unconquerable love and you're destined for union with him and not just your mind, not just your body, not just your soul, but your body as well. Like right. you're going to rise from the dead in the body that you've received and you're made for eternal union with the blessed Trinity. Yeah. And like, that's what, and that's why we don't want people to discard their bodies. That's why we don't want people to think that they're not important or that they're inconsequential because they're an essential part of who you are as a creature and living in union with them yeah. is a, is going to be a part of your, your happiness and your destiny. And yet at the risk of complicating things, that resurrected body will be free of all that's wrong with it. It yeah. will be transfigured, mm. glorified. Perfected. Um, perfected. But it will be either male or female. It will be either male or female. Yeah. Mm. Because it will be in relation, yeah. Because it will be in relationship with a soul that's mm-hmm. had that body before. Yeah. Sure. Male or female. And somehow the fact that there will, the fact that the world is male and female reflects the splendor and glory of God in a way that uh, another way of, uh, another state of affairs would not. Right. And in a way that, other creatures do not. Yeah. In a way that's uniquely human. It's going back to the human dignity. Um, so guys, just as a, as a reiteration of these last few points, what do we say about, what does the church say about gender? One, there's unity. Man is infinitely valuable because there's unity in his body and in his mind or body and soul, if you will. The man is in the, made in the image of God, right? And that persons are made for a relationship in accordance with that image. That creation is something that's given to us, not created on our own accord. And that the human dignity um, is informed by the person's here chylomorphic composition, the body and soul unity. Mm-hmm. And so that when we're engaging into some of the discussion of gender ideology, is that right? Is that the right term? Um, we operate under these principles. Yeah. That you're, as, as Joey, just reiterating here the point that we are infinitely worth um, loving our bodies. I have a question, Father. In, in your work studying some of these issues, um, you know, I'm thinking of the great heresies in the, tr- in the course of the church's history and how they deviate from the truth, but typically in confronting them, bring the church into a deeper understanding of a reality that's been revealed or, or a truth about God. Do you think something similar is happening or has the potential to happen with all this confusion about gender? Do you think that, have you personally experienced, or do you think that the church could experience a, a deeper understanding of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman through its confrontation with these, um, Incorrect ideas? Certainly, yes. Though, when you're in the midst of a controversy, it's rarely possible to see what it's going to look like out on yeah. the other side. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, but if we think of what's happened the last century, um, changes in male-female roles, um, th- there's a huge potential there to come out of that at the other end mm-hmm. with a renewed appreciation, among other things, of the dignity of women. Yeah. We'd have oh, well. to fully acknowledge much of human history and the church's history has ignored. Um, I think we can be pretty certain that's going to be one positive coming out of this. Sure. But with a renewed understanding of what it means to be male and female. Hmm. Um, yeah. That we haven't really needed to think of much right. in mo- most of the church. Right. Some of the groundwork for that deeper understanding was certainly part started by the guy we've been quoting left and right today, John Paul II and his theology of the body and stuff. But I think, I tend to think there's even, we're going to, that deep, 
deepening of knowledge is going to even increase as, as time goes on. Yeah. I'm hopeful and, that it and as the sciences themselves or the hard sciences, as we call them, kind of also evolve and develop, I think we'll also see more, hopefully, honest discussion about this topic, particularly that is so sensitive and, and delicate and, um, and dense, truly. Yeah. Joey. Well, I wanted to ask Father to, cl- like, as a pastor, someone who yeah. has care of souls, well, not right now. I don't know. Do you have care of our souls at the seminary? Yes, he well, does. He's still priest of Jesus Christ. That's well, right. I know, but like canonically, canonically that's, that's no. a different reason. Oh, the, re- no. the rector would. The rector but, has the care of our souls. Oh, He's responsible nice. before God right now for our souls. And our, love people, our listeners love canon law. Isn't that right, guys? But as someone who's been a pastor who probably will be a pastor again one day, what, like, how do you, what, a, a message that you have to people who are struggling with some of these gender um, identity issues, trying to wrestle through them or feeling perhaps, yeah, maybe I'm not feeling content with my body. Maybe I, I'm, I'm wrestling with these issues. How, what would you say to those people? I would say as someone who's been a pastor um, many years, frequently the biggest issue is coming to terms with the reality. Mm. And whether it's your family situation that you're unhappy with, um, something in your physical situation, accepting your personal cross, the difficulty of life, but uniting it to the Lord. Um, but in a, behind a lot of what we've been looking at today, realizing the truth of who you are, mm-hmm. even when it's not a comfortable truth, mm. even when you'd want your body to be different or want to somehow feel differently about how you identify, um, to have the courage, because these things frequently take, take huge courage. Yeah, right to be willing to look for the truth, the reality of who you are. Hmm. Yeah. And obviously too, I mean, hopefully if you've stuck with us for this whole episode, you know that like you belong in the church, like the, like the church is your, like the family of God to which you were destined to be a member. Right. We want you as a part of our community and we don't hate you because we disagree with some of these, um, you know, ideological points like, God loves you. We love you, and and we're, we 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 want you to be happy and flourish, right? Yeah, and we hope that you took something from this conversation, particularly in 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 kind of a spirit of trying to welcome you know those who may be struggling with this, or maybe family members that have other maybe kids or a, you know nephew or niece who are struggling with these things. I think in the spirit of engaging community and in charity and in truth, opening this discussion up to Father Father uh, Dylan James and and us trying to engage into it too. It's not easy. But I think it's important. Yeah, very important. And an effort to try to build up the kingdom of God. Um, so, Father, any last remarks as we close up? Joey? No, just pleasure being with you. And <laughs> Thank you. Pleasure identifying and talking through these really tough, big issues. Sure. But Yeah, this is, we were very serious this episode. Not a lot of joke, but it's because we're, we wanted to be exact. We wanted to be. Serious topics require serious attitudes. We wanted right? to be precise with our language as much as possible. Right. And so thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, yeah, uh, we're praying for all of our listeners, as always, especially the ones who give to it. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> and. Um, the joke never gets old. I, no, I love it every time. Every time. <laughs> um, yeah. Persevere. Happy Lent. Keep keep plugging away through Lent. Plugging away through it. Um, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you took something from it. And above all, we hope that you grew in knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos incarnate. And as always, God bless.